So that's why we're a little bit late today, but nevertheless, we're going to continue on with the series that we began uh, last week where we started looking at various objections that people have to, uh, to faith in general. Uh, and, uh, and then more specifically, as we'll get into um, maybe even a little bit today, but definitely further on, uh, objections people have to Christian faith. What are the kinds of things that people uh, bring up? Now, uh, last week when we began, I dealt with uh, just the very idea of faith itself. And I asked the question, is faith itself inherently irrational? That was the question. And what I pointed out in that session is that um, no, faith in and of itself isn't inherently irrational because the fact is all of us use faith every day in our ordinary lives. Every time we you know, sit in a chair, we trust, we have faith that it will hold us when we sit on it. Every time we get on a plane, as my wife is right now, we have faith that it will get us from point A to point B. And so faith is not inherently irrational. Instead, faith, based on the reliability of the object it is depending on, that is so, so key, can be either rational or irrational. It all depends upon the object that the faith is relying on. Now, I do want to point out, I did not seek to defend Christian faith per se last week. That was not my goal. It was just to defend the idea of faith uh, itself. Uh, but of course, just because faith can be uh, rational doesn't mean that uh, that deals with all the problems that come up in a person's mind. Far from it. Uh, for example, most religious faith calls its adherents to believe in some type of the miraculous. And so the question is, if you believe that uh, in the possibility, uh, if you believe in the possibility of the miraculous, doesn't that mean in and of itself that that belief is inherently irrational? Also, well, obviously, as a Christian pastor, my answer to that question is going to be no. So let me try and explain with the time we have left today. First of all, let's define very clearly what a miracle is. The uh, uh, well-known biblical scholar uh, Norman Geisler puts it like this. Uh, he says, um, a miracle is divine intervention into or interruption of the regular course of the world that produces a purposeful but unusual event that would not have occurred otherwise. A miracle occurs as an unusual, irregular, and specific act of a God who is beyond the universe. Seems like a pretty good definition to me of what we mean when we say miracle. So let me be very clear. Uh, to believe in the possibility of the miraculous is to believe that the supernatural beyond the universe can intervene into the natural universe as we experience it. So, so to believe in the miraculous or even the possibility in the miraculous, you have to at least believe in the possibility of a supernatural realm, of something beyond space and time, something beyond what we experience here. Now, some may say, well, that sounds a little too crazy to me. I only believe in what science reveals to us. And listen, I think that's a totally understandable position if we're looking for solely naturalistic hypotheses, if we're looking to deal with solely natural uh, answers or naturalistic answers. But, uh, but we have to remember science by definition is limited to that which is observable and repeatable. That is what it means. That's the scientific method. It's based on that, that sort of uh, framework. And what that means is that even if a supernatural event were to take place, 
Well, science as a discipline doesn't really have the option to be open to it. I don't blame the scientific community for being skeptical of claims of the miraculous or for that matter, the supernatural, because it's sort of in its very mission to try and find naturalistic explanations for what goes on in the world around us. So in order for us to discuss at least the possibility of, mirac of miracles, we actually have to dig into philosophy. We have to delve into the, uh, uh, to sort of a, the, the love of wisdom, so to speak, is uh, what philosophy actually means. And there, the question could be framed like this. Is it philosophically impossible for miracles to happen? Is it philosophically impossible for miracles to happen. Now, the honest philosopher, even if they might be a stone-cold atheist themselves, will have to answer that question with no. No, it's not philosophically impossible. Now, why is that? Well, simply put, because every philosopher knows that we don't have all knowledge about the universe or beyond the universe, and so we simply cannot make the claim that miracles are, in fact, impossible. That goes beyond the realm of what we can actually know. We just don't have enough knowledge to discount them wholesale. Okay, well, then someone might say, well, fine. Miracles are certainly highly improbable then. If I can't say they're, they're absolutely impossible, well, they're at least highly improbable. To which I would say, amen. That is correct. That's why they're miracles. They are highly improbable. They are not things that uh, that we would expect. Thus, they are called miracles. They are inherently something that is not uh, something we're used to here in the world. But perhaps you're hearing this and you're still not convinced that miracles are possible. Well, if that's the case, maybe let's deal with just a broader question. Let's, let's discuss the broader question uh, of this. Are there things that take place in the universe, in our world, that simply have no natural explanation? Are there things that take place that we don't know how to explain? The fact is, the world is full of so many inexplicable events that to me, it at least seems reasonable to be open to the possibility of the miraculous. Uh, consider a story from a very well-known and very well-respected atheist named Michael Shermer. Uh, he really is kind of a skeptic of the highest order. He's debated some of the leading theologians over the question of the existence of God. He's edited a number of uh, skeptical magazines and journals, including Reason Magazine, if you're familiar with that. And so Michael Shermer is a man who has basically staked his life and his livelihood on the idea that there is no such thing as the miraculous at all. But a few years ago, Shermer wrote a piece for the Scientific American entitled, quote, anomalous, anomalous events that can shake one's skepticism to the core, end quote. The catchy title, I know. Anomalous events that can shake one's skepticism to the core. And in fact, what he wrote stunned quite a few of the readers of the magazine. This is what he wrote, quote, the event took place on June 25th, 2014. 
On that day, I married Jennifer Graf from Köln, Germany. She had been raised by her mom. Her grandfather, Walter, was the closest father figure she had growing up, but he died when she was 16. In shipping her belongings to my home before the wedding, most of the boxes were damaged and several precious heirlooms lost, including her grandfather's binoculars. However, his 1978 Philips uh, 070 transistor radio arrived safely, so I set out to bring it back to life after decades of muteness. I put in new batteries and opened it up to see if there were any loose connections to solder, and there was silence. We gave up and put it at the back of a desk drawer in our bedroom. Three months later, after affixing the necessary signatures to our marriage license at the Beverly Hills Courthouse, we returned home and in the presence of my family said our vows and exchanged rings. Being 9,000 kilometers from family, friends, and home, Jennifer was feeling amiss and lonely. She wished her grandfather were there to give her away. She whispered that she wanted to say something to me alone, so we excused ourselves to the back of the house where we could hear music playing in the bedroom. We don't have a music system there, so we searched for laptops and iPhones and even opened the door to absurdly uh, back, even open the back door to check if the neighbors were playing music themselves, which they weren't. We followed the sound to the printer on the desk, wondering absurdly if uh, this combined printer scanner fax machine also included a radio. Nope, no radio there. At that moment, Jennifer shot me a look I haven't seen since the supernatural thriller The Exorcist startled audiences. She said, that can't be what I think it is, can it? She opened the desk drawer and pulled out her grandfather's transistor radio, out of which a romantic love song wafted. We sat in stunned silence for minutes. Later that night, we fell asleep to the sound of classical music emanating from Walter's radio. Fittingly, it stopped working the next day and has remained silent ever since. Shermer writes this, I have to admit, this event rocked me back on my heels and shook my skepticism to its core as well. I savored the experience more than the explanation." End quote. The point is, in a world with such anomalous events, so to speak, it's certainly rational to at least be open to the possibility of the miraculous. Before C.S. Lewis became a Christian, he was an expert in uh, mythological studies and literary criticism at Cambridge University in England. And while he was still an atheist, he wrote that he was uh, struck by the raw sort of unvarnished quality of the gospel accounts of Jesus. In his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he says, I was by now too experienced in literary criticism to regard the gospels as myths. They had not the mythical taste, and yet the very matter that they set down in their artless historical fashion was precisely the matter of the great myths. If ever a myth had become fact, had been incarnated, it would be just like this. Here and here only in all time, the myth must have become fact. The word flesh, God, 
man. End quote. Are there things that science is simply unable to explain? Well, of course there is. We see a lot of that happening in our world right now in the discipline of quantum physics. But if that's the case, then it seems to me it's at least theoretically possible that some of those things that we can't explain could be miracles. All right, now let me bring it all down. There's a couple more things I want to say, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, we have to ask ourselves, how is it that we can know whether something is a miracle or we can trust that a miraculous event has happened? Uh, I've had people bring up to me before. I mean, it seems like there's miracles on every page of the Bible, and now we don't see that kind of thing at all. Well, it's good to keep in mind, um, yes, it does seem like there's a preponderance of miracles in the Bible. But we have to remember the Bible is a document that's written over some 4,000 years and that its purpose is to report the activities of God in and through his people. And so there's going to be a higher focus on those events in which God is interacting with his people. But if you just do the math, let's say there's 500 miracles recorded for us in the Bible over 4,000 years. Well, basically what it adds up to is, you know, with obviously spurts of more miracles at one time than the other, it adds up to about one miracle every eight years when you do the math. And if that's the case, then it doesn't seem that it's all that common or all as common as we might assume just reading through the pages of Scripture. And so the question we have to ask ourselves when we come to uh, claims of the miraculous is, again, it's, it's more of an evidentiary question. We have to ask ourselves the next question, is what we're being told reliable? Is there good reason to believe that the person telling me they experienced this miraculous event actually did experience this, at the very least, inexplainable event? Is there good reason to believe what they're telling us? Well, to answer that question, next week we're going to look at the idea of whether history can be trusted and whether people's claims about history can be trusted and more specifically, whether their claims about the miraculous can be trusted. So I hope you'll join me then for uh, that time as we discuss further.